This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Today, we're chatting with Jack Creswell. Jack is the manager of Annalara White Dorper in Dubbo, New South Wales. He's also the host of Farms Advice Podcast, which aims to share best farming practice and innovation and create transparency within the industry. In this episode, you'll hear about how Jack used COVID-19 to kickstart his podcast, why he believes sharing stories, advice and experiences is vital to the growth of agriculture, and what he thinks the future of farm advice might look like. Now you might hear a new voice on the podcast today. I'm joined by my colleague Cameron Longbottom. Cam's coming to you from his family's mixed cropping and sheep farm in the South Australian Mid-North town of Spalding. He'll be joining me from time to time as our guest host. So welcome Cam. Thanks Annie. It's great to be here. Well, let's jump in. So thanks for joining us Jack on Beyond the Farm Gate. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to meet up with another podcast group of people like-minded absolutely we're super excited to have you on so to kick us off are you able to tell us how your connection to agriculture began absolutely we're sheep farmers from out western new south wales based in between Wilkenya and tulpa on a sheep station there where i grew up thinking we just had sheep having no idea that that's actually how we made our money thinking back now growing up in that sort of background it is a pretty cool way to grow up and see how things are run out in the bush and probably one of the harshest environments out there for livestock but also for those working the land you don't get to town too much or see your mates all the time like i give it to the people that stuck it out out there they're working really hard doing it for Australia, but also they're really improving the way that we run our commercial flocks of sheep or cattle. And that's how we started in Marinos. It was a soldier settlers block for my great grandfather, I believe. And then I'm the fifth generation. We had that station for nearly a hundred years and then we sold it off to one of the largest sheep owners to the Brinkworths, which was sad to see as a family, but knowing that that's where we all grew up my dad and his dad, they all grew up there as well. So it was a bit sad to see that go, but that's where our connection to land really started to form for my family. And then from that, because it's so far from school, my brother and I, the two kids in our school, with mum being our principal, teacher and nurse, all in one. So we went to school of the year in Broken Hill. I think we met up one Friday every month. So we'd have to get up at three in the morning and then do the trip into Broken Hill just to so we can have that socialising aspect of school, which was pretty daunting when we moved into Dubbo. I bet. And School of the Air, did that enable you to spend a little bit more time on farm and doing the things that you wanted to be able to do on the farm? 100%. I don't think we would have got through it if mum didn't bribe us with, we can go mustering if we finish this question. <laughs> so it first started out that we'd do our mustering at lunchtime, an extended sort of lunchtime to normal schools, which was really cool for us to get out there, do our maths or English or whatever it may be, our little story on Kathy Freeman. And then just having that ability to cut in and out, I suppose, what like running a podcast and farming is. I think that work ethic is instilled in those that do School of the Air. 
because they're constantly probably on station on the property with their dad trying to tow them away and their mum trying to put the seatbelt back on into the school chair. So after you finished school, did you stay on the property or did you head off like many did off to uni? We moved into Dubbo, more of a hub for schools for us. So we moved into a larger school, so stepped in there to a school that was actually more than 10 kids. So it was pretty daunting as a nearly 10-year-old. And then we finished off and I had a gap year, just worked on the farm, probably should have done a bit of travel and learned some things, but I needed some money after my gap year. Went into university, unknown to what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a builder, but dad thought agribusiness looked pretty good. And I thank him for pushing me that way because met some really good mates and probably led me into what I'm doing today for sure. So what uni were you at? I went to University of New England, which is pretty well known for agricultural-based degrees. There was a few people from WA, though, right up from Cloncurry. The girl I was at uni with at Cloncurry, she used to drive 25 hours straight. Well, not straight, she'd stay over one night, but 25 hours is a long way just to get to uni driving. Absolutely. But I can imagine that going to UNE and studying agriculture the networks that you would have formed would have been absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think that's probably the best thing that we got out of it. Probably at the time in first year, thinking our lecturers know nothing, we know it all. Looking back, I'll probably thank the lecturers for steering me into what I like and what I'm doing currently. It turns out they do actually know a thing or two. But yeah, definitely the networks of having your mates, like we're all farming sort of background, but we all come from different sides of agriculture you're in livestock horticulture agronomy sheep pigs dairy anything goes for those and it's spread right across australia so if you're going on a trip you've got a few people to pull in and have a cuppa with which is pretty good absolutely so you finished school thought you might want to be a builder turns out went to uni after you finished uni what did you want to do and how did that actually happen did you end up doing what you thought you would i think after uni for us coming from farming background, we always have the farm in the background, like as a bit of a plan B, if it's not your plan A. I wanted to get into a job that was pretty solid, had its own sort of network that I could improve on. I got a job. It was a really good job. It paid great, but that was a bit isolated in what I was doing. I was sort of selling agricultural equipment online, which I could have done from home and worked on the farm. So then a trip overseas to see some family spurred the time for me to move overseas. Mum's British, so I've got a passport there that's really handy to have. So I didn't want to put that to waste and try to get into some good marketing roles over in England just to open up what others do out there. And especially over there, it's nuts how global their mindset is for like their marketing campaigns. They don't just base it towards farmers. They have to base it towards German farmers, farmers from Belgium, England, Ireland. So, yeah, it's pretty mind-opening and you just sit back and, wow, unreal. So you've mentioned we're like-minded people in that you have your podcast. From one podcaster to another, what was it that triggered you to start yours? No job, really. Pretty plain and simple, but I was based in London at the time and I was running a blog. I wanted to get better at writing coming from a marketing background at uni and mum probably wasn't the best teacher of English when we were younger. So trying to get those foundations back in place for that. And I think that was just the evolution of blogging 
agriculture is so widespread, farmers don't want to sit down and read just one individual's blog. If you can combine a few heads together, a few people to write a blog, I thought about that, trying to sort of outsource the blogging. And then podcasting, I was smashing the podcast really because I didn't have a job. Exercising, I listened to a podcast just to try to keep myself upskilled. It was 10 months I didn't have a role for in the end, but that's how it spurred off. It started in my London bedroom, Farms Advice podcast, just chatting with people at five in the morning or late at night. Girlfriend didn't like it too much. All my housemates had to be quiet. So if those first few episodes were a bit quiet, that's probably why I was middle of the night over in London talking to farmers, ag tech CEOs. That's what sort of spurred it off initially. So in one sentence or for one of a better term, what's your elevator pitch for Farms Advice? Farms Advice podcast is incorporating cross-sector information and helping farmers access the right information as quick as possible with the least resources. So, Jack, what benefits do you see from people in agricultural communities sharing their experiences and their advice? Well, I think with the podcast platform, it really enhances how they can do it. I'm using my platform to share other stories. I feel like if I can get a little snippet from your podcast episode and then jump over to my podcast episode, unrelated episodes, but that can be relatable into whatever your sort of enterprise is, whether you're running stock, you're aquaculture, it can even come down to your mindset. It's not actually, you should buy this technology. It's like sparing you on to push for more within agriculture. We're trying to push technologies and also your technique, how you go about it as improving those little one percenters. End of the year, you've improved 1% a day, you're improving 365% more each year. Do you think that's something that we do well in agriculture in sharing knowledge and sharing experiences? Some people would say yes, but like I really don't. We're from sheep studs and I think everyone sort of thinks this is a huge secret, I'm going to keep this. But most of the studs do, but they don't talk to each other or something. If we could learn as sectors, like for sheep, cattle, and then cross-sector sharing of that, I think it's like needs to open up a lot more transparency needs to improve even the consumer side of it what i'm trying to do is focus internally once we've got our internals working right all the cogs are turning and we're running at 100 percent we'll be able to improve the way farmers look for new information there's a few fields out there that are really sharing it quite well but i think yeah you guys may know as well from your backgrounds but i think it does need to improve how we share and the quality of the information is it relevant or are you just spitting chips at people i think it's a really good point it's no point just talking about something if it's not resonating so i think it's podcasts like ours and yours and there are so many other great resources out there but if we all play that role in helping to share knowledge and share experiences and stories we can get that little bit closer it's going to come together it's not going to be overnight success imagine in 10 years we probably won't be podcasting probably moved on by then to whatever else it evolves into but yeah it's exciting to see in 10 years the impact our initial thoughts have had as podcasters what it does to go in to show in the end for clients and non-clients for yourself yeah i definitely agree we've got a lot to learn in that space so other than the farms advice podcast of course in what other ways do you think farmers in the broader industry can share their knowledge the best way i can think of is actually through a podcast our biggest master probably takes eight hours to get them all in 
So imagine the podcast you can fit into there when you're just riding with the wind. I know which one I'd prefer, but I suppose sharing information, events is pivotal and critical for the agriculture community. Pivotal because you can go there and learn something and critical for getting those updates that you need. Updated machineries and actually seeing it in the working environment how piece of machinery can actually help you do it so like a live trial as such and then the podcast just breaks those down into little snippets into how that actually works and we're the storytellers of these snippets as well so there's a lot of room in there for events podcast live events would be really good at like agricultural events across australia for learning i don't think events will go away for agriculture once covid dies down a bit or we learn to live with it whatever the outcome is I think, especially like my generation, our generation of farmers are looking to see how someone else is doing it a bit more, go past your neighbour just next door, see into WA what they're doing or even New Zealand. They're the leading grass growers. Can we take a leaf out of their book? Absolutely. And what has been the reaction from the broader industry and from the broader community to your podcast? Oh, it's a pinch me moment for me. The first bit of feedback for me, I nearly fell over. Because I just wasn't expecting it. Not something directly, but like they were just sort of thanking the stories and a few people have got on to me about, yeah, that actually is pretty good technology. I've started to use it. But the biggest feedback is probably from our farm here. I'm actually implementing a few things myself on our family farm, which is really good to see. So something that's probably beneficial to my farm is what others out there are also looking for. So I'm never short of ideas of who to have on or what sort of topic I want. I've got a list of topics I wrote down a fair while ago. It was actually for coming out with TikTok videos, believe it or not. But we've got a bit of a following on TikTok now, so some of them are embarrassing, I'm a bit cringe, but you've got to do what you've got to do. And it's pretty fun trying to make a bit of hype for agriculture. As I've seen like in the marketing across England, like I'm trying to bring it back to what like sort of fashion does. They do cool things around what their products are, but why can't agriculture do cool things about what we do, our connection to agriculture, or even in the tractor, there's a few boys in northern New South Wales that are like A-grade with their drone getting around, so it's pretty cool to see. So with that in mind, is there a piece of advice or an experience from your time in agriculture that you like to share? Not really like pinpointed to one moment. I think it's just the journey of what you're on is always evolving Like I never thought I'd be a blogger. I told my mum to stop me doing a podcast and I did a podcast and it's probably the best thing that's ever happened. My experience is always say yes to opportunities coming along and never shy away from saying no to someone as well though. Not for just people coming on a podcast or something, but for overdoing it, you can burn out yourself and that's also a big topic in the industry currently. Overworking, I think just get out there and network. Meet as many people as you can. Do your own marketing for yourself put your word out there and see what sticks and i think we're starting to see some stick with the farms vice podcast which is really cool to see but also it's great to get some momentum behind it as well otherwise we wouldn't be doing it would we no exactly so like you mentioned there i think overworking is one thing that farmers are probably notorious for is there something that you've adopted that helps balance between work and non-work life i think just whatever you find enjoyable used to race motorbikes and coming back from England, didn't have the money to get into it again. So I have to start doing that. Bit of travel, but like just get out of your farming zone. It's hard when 
once you finish work, you stay at work though because you're on your on the house, on the farm, aren't you? So it's quite hard to detach fully. If you have a tight-knit sort of family that's working on the farm or you have a few colleagues, just designate someone over the weekend to take a hold of those roles at just checking livestock, checking waters, checking oysters or something. But if you find someone that can take those little responsibilities off your hand over the weekend and sort of alternate what's going on. I tell Dad I don't work on Sundays. I've had enough, mate. <laughs> it's a good role to have. Yeah, it should be Saturday, Sunday as well. But <laughs> Absolutely. Me, podcasting is a good way to get out of it. Dad, I've got a podcast. You don't say how long it goes for. You just rock up when you rock up after, and it works out in the end. I think like that agriculture is so flexible. If you can work it appropriately, like you can really fit in these extra curricular activities and hopefully this curricular activity turns into something that's a bit bigger than myself later on and incorporates a few others. I feel like podcasting is so not work. Even though this is part of our job and what we do, it's the one thing every week or every fortnight that you really look forward to and it just it really doesn't feel like work. So I think this is another really good outlet as well. Yeah, definitely. I think if my listeners only went up by one, that would be me. Because I'm re-listening in to see like what I missed, if I can pull a quote from that and put it on socials or whatever. But even like if you listen to it a couple of times, you can have a complete overview of what that person's thinking. I was speaking to Pip Courtney the other week and I mentioned like your true north, like you have a true north of where you want your farm to go, what success means to you and your farm or what it means to the podcast, like what do I actually want to do? Should it have a core focus or should I just blab around here and there and pick it up at the end? I think you need to have that goal in mind of what you want it to be, who you want it to be there with you, taking your journey along with you. But I think podcasting, there's no other thing like it currently. Videos are too lengthy. I've got a few on YouTube, but it just takes so much time, doesn't it? Yeah, I think podcasting is a really accessible way of sharing information. and. You touched on it earlier, but what I really want to explore is what the future of sharing information and sharing advice in agriculture looks like. So you've interviewed quite a few people now, and from those conversations, what opportunities and challenges do you see farmers facing in the future? Well, one thing I'm trying to tackle, there's a huge divide from city to country. As you know, like the media portrays it as so, and then as the media portrays it, so do we as the farmers. We're just trying to bust ourselves to make sure the consumers know where our farm products come from and how they're made and everything. But if we're focusing internally and how that works, do all your marketing for that to get your products out there. But I think once we have our internals focusing right, we're sharing the information that's relevant and how we can improve our farm. I think connecting that to the consumers after you have your cogs turning the right way, that will come through a lot better than it would rather if you hadn't done that work, those processes in beforehand of how you can actually improve. Is regen for you or are you just trying to market that regen? You're trying to put that green approval for the consumer on there. Are you actually doing it? Put it in process. So like tackling the issues of farmers, I think, for the industry, connecting farmers together, cross-sector is a huge one. Like I can learn a lot from beef, but more so maybe dairy. They're the grass growers of the nation and also across the world. It's pretty cool to see how they operate and whether that can work on our sheep stud as well. 
I think that's a really great point. And I think if nothing else, COVID has taught us that you don't need to be in the same state or the same community to connect with people. And there are ways that now we can connect across geographical boundaries and more specifically in agriculture across sectors. As all industries, though, are going more digital, how do you see the digital piece playing out for us in ag? I sort of had the motto of transitioning traditional to digital for agriculture. Like that's probably my focus currently, my true north. That's a huge one. Like we're not seeing it at the numbers that it probably needs to be at, which is understandable. We, we are very traditional. The older generation, as they move out, will probably see the biggest shift in the next five, ten years. As our families, our parents, my parents move off, hopefully very soon, into another role or even retirement, I think digital, it is already playing a huge role, even with podcasts, but technology, we're all becoming connected. It's just, I think farmers are seeing an overload of what actually can we do with the data and how is it going to help my farm? Like farmers have so many roles currently, they don't have the room to learn about how they can transform their data into improving their property, I believe. Like farmers are pretty hefty, aren't they? They've got a few roles to cover. So it's up to us to sort of translate that in and transform how they can use it. Those sort of consultants in the middle have a pretty important role to get those farmers over the hump and get it working. Once they see proof of how it works and how it can operate on their farm, I think they won't be turning back anytime soon because the benefits are going to be there to become more efficient and productive in the way that we manage our farms right across Australia. Yeah, I agree. And with limited amount of land available, there's going to be a need to increase productivity on the same land size, isn't there? So how do you see farmers collaborating in terms of production? I think farmers collaborating should be done off their own back. You don't need to sit around and wait for government sort of handouts to get a group of farmers that are in a similar area working together. You should probably just go and see your neighbours and say, hey, mate, do you want to do a trial to see if this variety is working this winter crop or even just trialling different straws of semen for livestock. If you can sort of share that around and share the costs, I think you'll be pretty beneficial in jumping in and collaborating. Even like if you're a forward-thinking farmer, you've probably gotten on to a few tech companies and seen, come implement this product into our farm and I'll give you the data. But off that, they're receiving the data back so they can improve their and develop their products further for other farmers and also for your benefit. But you're also seeing the benefit straight away. So if you can get these sort of small startup farm tech, ag tech companies helping yourself out with how you focus, don't do it if it's obviously not relevant or going to help you out. But if it's going to help you out, why not jump in, help them help you. I think that's a space we could improve in for sure. So what are you at most excited about for the future of agriculture? So that could be a new practice, an invention, or just a topic that has to be tackled in general. I'm most excited about bringing skilled workers into the industry. We've been so wrapped up about getting people into roles that you don't need skills, such as like for harvest, sort of seasonal workers. You don't really need skills for that. You just need a few days just to jump on the tractor and learn how to operate or even in the header. If we can advertise ourselves and create some hype around what's going on in the industry, we're doing some mind-blowing stuff here, but no one can see it. No one can access it unless they're from agriculture. So if we get some hot developers from wherever across the world or even in Australia 
most of the Aussie workers in these new digital roles are going offshore because, well, they think there's no roles here or there's a bit more pay in America, Europe, Asia, or they're just chasing a bigger name. I think if we could attract those within the industry and connect those to the sort of farming that we do here in Australia, I think that would be probably the biggest shift because you upskill straight away the whole industry instead of just trying to look for those bottom roles where you turn them over, high turnover. We want to continue breeding the best employees, but I think they're right here. We just need to show them what roles. Agriculture is so diverse, as you'll see in your podcast and the Farms Vice podcast as well. So we need to advertise that there are development roles, developer roles, even podcasting roles maybe in the future for any sort of agricultural-based podcast. I think that's probably the most exciting sort of part, how we can try to get those to come into the industry. And like a true podcast, you've just done a beautiful segue for me, Jack, and I'm going to be a little bit cheeky now, but in the spirit of collaboration, out of everyone that you've interviewed, who do you think should be our next guest on Beyond the Farm Gate? The most recent one would be Pip Courtney. Like a lot of people know her. She's amazing at what she does. She's connecting the industry and probably doesn't see herself in such a larger role as she is and how she plays out, tells the story of successful farmers. But a few out there, Charlie Bloomfield is really doing some great things and also James Walker in diversification for his farm, but also like he's trying to push the outside community into what he's doing to become a more diverse industry. I think that's where it's going to be. Diversifying what you're doing, whether it's off-farm income or just offsetting droughts is going to be really important in the future. Absolutely. So to wrap us up, I'm going to pose a question to you that we ask all of our guests on Beyond the Farm Gate. What work boots do you wear when you're out on the farm? So I was with a long-standing company for a while and I like to put some pride behind that, but I've finally changed this year, which is a shock. (laughs) I was blundstone through and through until I got some redbacks on my feet and never looked back since. But that's the type of boot, just the elastics on the side, make it quick. We want to be more efficient, don't we? So get the elastics, not the lace-ups. I don't know how people wear the lace-up high boots like the builders or tradies do on farming. I think it's a bit nuts (laughs) when you just want to have a five-minute lunch. takes you 10 minutes to get them off. I totally agree. We're definitely seeing a trend towards Redbacks, though. We've had a few people come on and say redbacks. Yeah, yep, they're making a comeback. Shocking news. They'll be in the Daily Telegraph very soon, I imagine. (laughs) Heard it here first. Yeah, that's a good question. I might have to steal that one. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Jack. We've really enjoyed chatting to you and getting to know you a little bit more and can't wait to maybe collaborate more in the future. Yeah, why not? Let's get into it. Thanks for getting on to me and great to have another podcasting community growing along there as well. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Rural Bank. Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services, knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links and other resources, we've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert, and I'll chat to you next time.